0: Just uh, just loosen up your shoulders a little bit. Just feel that sunshine still on your face. It's coming in that window. Nice. But what I want to do is uh, I want to start just by by reading a bit of the Bible. Is that all right? Anyone bought a Bible with them today? Yeah, nice. If you bought an electronic Bible, that's fine. I like my electronic Bible because I can change versions, uh, which is good fun. But we're going to start in our Romans chapter 1. I'm reading from the NLT version. Romans chapter 1. Uh, verse 21. Why don't you turn with me and we'll chuck it up on. There you go. Look at that. That's beautiful. Uh, So we're going to read 21 to 23. It says this, "'Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused.' Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Why don't you bow your heads with me and I'm just going to pray. God, I thank you for the, uh, for the opportunity that we have to, to gather together here today, God. Uh, we, we, we don't take this space and this chance lightly. We know that there are people around the world who, who would love the opportunity to be able to communally meet and to lift you up, God. God, and we know that, that at the moment, it, it seems like there's so much going on, maybe for us personally with, with Christmas approaching, with the year wrapping up, or, or maybe for us globally with, uh, with all of the, the strife that's going on in the world. God, we pray that in the midst of all of this, in the midst of everything that's going on, we would be able to take this moment these next 30 minutes just to turn to you, God. God, we know that you're always speaking. We know that you always want to say something to us. And and I pray that just right now we would lean in and hear what it is you're saying, God. God, that you would encourage us, that you would inspire us, God, that that if we need to, God, that you would confront us, but that no matter what, we would leave here different than when we walked in. Thank you, Lord, that that you are constant, you're eternal, and that, that you love us so much. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Hey, so uh, as Laura said, we are in the month of Thanksgiving. Does anyone remember last November? Anyone kind of got into the habit of what we're doing? As a church, uh, we like to follow a bit of a calendar. Not too much of a calendar because that, that would be, you know, too constraining and, and then we'd want to do something, we couldn't do something. But every November, we like to focus on Thanksgiving, right? And I think it's important as, as, as a church and, and as a people of God that we do have uh, seasons in our life. Right, that we, we take time out to, to focus on something specifically, especially if it's really important. And that's why every November we have a, a month of Thanksgiving, right? It, it changes in kind of how we frame it from year to year, but, but we're always focusing on what can we be thankful for? For an entire month, how can we be a, a thankful people? Sometimes it looks like, you know, posting on Facebook uh, Facebook, Facebook, with the hashtag, I am thankful, uh, sometimes it, it just looks like waking up every morning and, and saying to yourself, man, what is it that God is doing for me today? Um, and, and I don't know about you, but this is one of my favorite things that we do as a church. Uh, this has profoundly impacted my life. I'm a, um, an emotional man. Emotional. Huh. But uh, I, I can be subject to the, the whimsy of emotions sometimes. Shocking, I know, shocking. Shocking. But, uh, you know, sometimes I just need to, to gather myself and, and, and to reflect on what's going on. You know, um, me and Em, we've started a tradition every morning. We, we drive to work together, which is awesome. I'm glad that I get to drive to work with Em. Um, and every morning we'll ask each other, what was your one thing yesterday? Right? What, what went well yesterday? And what are you thankful for today? And sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's like, man, yesterday was awesome. And today I'm, I'm doing this. I'm getting to eat beautiful lunch or whatever it is. And sometimes it is super hard. Sometimes it's like, oh man, yesterday, um, the moment was when it ended. <laughs> yeah, it's done. And today I'm thankful will also end. <laughs> it's not a very good one, right? But sometimes, you know, we come and go. But, but today I really want to look at why do we focus on this, right? What is it, what is it that brings us to this place of, of, of wanting to focus in on thanksgiving? See, uh, having seasons, having a calendar as Christians is important. We need moments to focus. But why focus on thanksgiving? I think the answer is, is found in, in Romans chapter one where it says without thanks, our minds become dark and confused, claiming to be wise or, or maybe pragmatic. We instead become utter fools. See, thanksgiving, being thankful to God, acknowledging Him, I think brings light and clarity to our lives, right? Being God aware is essential for a healthy and productive life. My favorite way of thinking of, of thanksgiving is as is, is light, Right? I don't know about you. Have you, have you ever been uh, in one of those moments where you wake up in a pitch black room? You know, you've been sleeping, you went to sleep, and, and there was still some kind of sun coming through the window or a bit of moonlight, but you wake up and, and the moon's covered and your room is just dark. Right? And you, and you wake up and you open your eyes, and there's that moment where you, you don't know how big the room is. Like, you've got no sensory input, and you're like, man, like literally, you know, my room is, is not as big as this hall. That would be impressive. Right? But I can wake up and be, feel like I'm in this hall. I feel like I don't know where the walls are. I don't, I don't know how big this room is. And um, I remember when Em and I first moved into our, our current flat, right? House, it's a house. I'm a big boy. Uh, when we first moved into our current house. And uh, I remember one, one night when we just moved in, waking up and I needed to go to the bathroom, right? Nature called. And, and it was one of those those nights, we just changed our curtains from these weird green ones that made the room look purple, which I don't understand how that works. But we just changed from those curtains to some normal curtains, uh, and, and they seemed to block out the the light a little bit more. And I woke up, and I just, I just couldn't see anything. It was pitch black. And so I, I got up like you do in the middle of the night, and you're kind of like, you're a bit creaky, and you get up, and you're like... And I was feeling my way along the wall, right? And I was like, I just feel my way along the wall and then and then I'll turn left and I'll be able to get out of the room. It'll be fine, right? So I, I feel my way along the wall. I stubbed my toe a couple of times, but I don't swear and I don't shout because I don't want to wake Emma up. Um, so I, I go along and I go along the wall and, and I come to, to a door and then I do that thing. And this is horrible because you're busting to go to the bathroom where you have to run your hand up and down the door to find the door handle. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And finally I find the door handle, right? And I'm like, yes. And I open the door handle and I pull it and I step in and I whack my head on the top of the wardrobe shelf. I was like, this is not the door to the hallway. This is the door to the wardrobe. And I will be honest with you, for a brief moment, it did, you know, come through my head. It wasn't my wardrobe. It was Emma's wardrobe. How mad would she be if I just kind of peed in the corner of the wardrobe? I didn't. I didn't. But I did think about it for a little bit too long, right? And then I found my way along the wall and I found my way to the other door and finally got out. But has everyone ever experienced that feeling of almost utter terror when you're in a room and you just can't find the exit? You're like, I know there's a light switch somewhere. I know there's a door somewhere. Just don't know where they are. I'm just absolutely lost. See, what's interesting is that the room doesn't change. The room's the exact same as it was when you could see it. Your perspective has changed. See, what I love about Thanksgiving is I think it changes our perspective. Thanksgiving is like light in that it illustrates something for us. It it allows us to see something differently. Thanksgiving doesn't change our circumstance, but it changes how we see it. See, I think Thanksgiving is all about perspective. If you're taking notes today, the title of my message this morning is Perspective. Right, and I really want to ask two questions. The first question I want to ask is, what can we do to bring a godly perspective to our lives? What can we do so that we can see our lives the way that God wants us to see them? And the second question I wanna ask is, what do we so often do that takes away that godly perspective? What can we so often do in our life that creates an ungodly perspective, perhaps making our minds dark and confused, right? What can we do to see things as God wants us to see them? And what maybe are we doing that, that tricks us, that makes us see things in a different way that leaves us dark and confused? So first of all, thanksgiving brings a godly perspective, right? Let's look at this. If thanksgiving lets us see our our pressures, our opportunities, circumstances, situations, our lives, our our environments, what is happening around us, not just as we see it, but from God's perspective, then when we fail to thank God, when we fail to, to turn on the light switch and to let God into our lives, we remove ourselves from the light or the awareness of the light, and we are in a place of darkness. See, God made a a world of light and life, right? The world is a beautiful place, but when we lose sight of God, when we lose sight of of who He is and and what He is doing, we are sentencing ourselves to a world that is darkness and death, right? Which is not a a fun place to be. It's not a great place to be when, when everything seems helpless and hopeless. When we have a dark and confused mind, we end up looking at something and only seeing the bad. Right? There's no way I can get out of this. There's no way that this is going to turn around. There's no way I can get past it. This is where I am for the rest of my life. Game over. That's my chance and I blew it, right? We have this utter feeling of helplessness. And when we fail to turn on the light, we end up stranded there. See, thanksgiving is a, is a contentious issue. Sometimes it feels just fake. If we're being honest, sometimes thanking God when everything is going wrong just feels out of place. It feels wrong. It feels uncomfortable. We feel like, man, why am I thanking God for this when I'm not thankful? Why am I trying to say these words when I absolutely don't mean them? I mean the opposite. I don't want to thank God. I want to yell at Him and blame Him. Why am I in this space where church is encouraging me to thank Him? I don't want to. Right, see, but thanksgiving is the only way that we can start to change our perspective. And I truly believe that changing our perspective is the only way we can start down the path of changing our circumstance. See, we spend a month every year being deliberately thankful because it changes things, right? We find something, anything, no matter how small, and we start there. And as we walk out our thankfulness, we light up the room and we start to see more to be thankful for, right? We, we might start with, with whatever we need. It might be, God, I'm thankful that I woke up. This is the only good thing that happened today. I'm thankful that I woke up. And then we're thankful that I'm breathing, God. God, I'm thankful that that I have hands. God, I'm thankful that I have feet. thankful that I have a nose, a voice, an imagination. God, I'm thankful that I have a church who loves me. Maybe it just starts there, but the change isn't of circumstance. Where you are is the same. The change is of perspective. See, you might be in darkness this morning, but I want to encourage you, when the world began, everything was in darkness. See, only God can say, let there be light. Only God can change where we are. We need to realize that nothing grows in the dark. Sometimes we need to grow to get past where we are. We need to grow to, to overcome the situation that we're in, but nothing will grow in the dark. Plants don't grow in the dark. Has anyone ever seen a picture of Antarctica? No, just me? I'm just the only Antarctica nerd. Well, let me tell you, imagine, I'll paint a picture, Antarctica has got no plants. There you go, that's all you need to know for that illustration, Right? And the reason that Antarctica has no plants is is A, because it's quite cold, which makes it harder for plants to live. But there are Arctic plants. There are plants in the Arctic Circle. There's, you know, you can grow plants when it's cold. And and there's a lot of ice and that kind of thing. But you can still grow plants in the ice. One of the main reasons that there's pretty much no plants in Antarctica is because for a good chunk of the year, there's no sunlight, right? Because of where Antarctica is, it's at the bottom of the earth, for those of you who are trying to figure it out, Uh, it doesn't see sun for a lot of the winter. Right? The sun goes down, and, and that's it. They don't see it for sometimes up to, up to almost six months. And plants need sun to photosynthesize. Right, We're not going to do a biology lesson. It's all right. But, uh, but that's how they live. That's how they survive. And so no plants grow in the darkness. And often we're like plants. We don't grow when things are dark. We don't grow when we can't see things. We don't grow when, when we don't have an input. And if we cannot grow, we can't overcome our problems. The problem looks uh, permanent and we feel futile. We forget that God said, let there be light. And that all that we need to do to turn on that light is just to be thankful. To say, God, I know that I'm sad. God, I know I'm I'm hurting. God, I know that I'm dejected. But God, I thank you that you are faithful. I'm thankful, I'm thankful that you are true. God, I'm thankful that you are trustworthy, capable, resource, loving, kind, good, powerful. God, I'm thankful that, that you can be good even in a situation that is horrible. Did you know that thanksgiving is in the Bible beginning to end? It's not just an idea that we came up with, which is good, right? It's good to go to a church where they don't just invent ideas. It's quite good when they have got a biblical basis, I think anyway. Right, but thanksgiving is in the Bible beginning to end. Jesus gave thanks, Jesus gave thanks a lot. In his miracles, faced with impossible situations, Jesus gave thanks. Right In in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus has a a crowd of possibly 13,000 people that he has to feed. And all he has is a schoolboy's lunch. And this is what he says, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Right? Then Jesus gave out the baskets, and, and they collect up more than they gave out. They collect up baskets of overflow. In, in John chapter 11, Jesus' friend Lazarus has died, and he's been dead for, for, so, for four days, so many days that he started to smell. He's dead, dead, right? And Jesus comes in front of the tomb where his friend is buried, and he says, it says this, then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me then he calls out Lazarus and Lazarus comes out alive from the tomb. See, the formula that Jesus used when he came up against a problem, he gave thanks to God. See, the power to bring overflow into your lack is found in thanksgiving. The power to bring back life to what has died in you is found in thanksgiving. God is looking for a people who will give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, we'll chuck it up on the it says, be thankful to God in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. Right, we can read this and think, who is this God? How can He be so callous? How can He be so, so uncaring, so egotistical that my life could be falling apart, and he wants to give, He wants me to give thanks to Him in all circumstances? How can I be here and God is saying, give thanks, and all I feel like doing is weeping? How can God ask me to do this? How can he be so cold? Right, we can say, God, I've just had everything fall over. God, I've just had everything go wrong. And yet God says, so give me thanks. And, and it's not because God doesn't want to comfort us. It's not because God doesn't care. In, in John chapter 11, when, when Lazarus died, Jesus stands in front of the tomb and he weeps. He's affected. He cares. It's not because God doesn't care. It's that when we thank God, we turn on the light, right? And God is saying in all circumstances, give thanks. Because if you've lost your job, if you've just had a disaster, stuffed up, lost a business or a a loved one, if everything else is going wrong, then the absolute last thing you need is to forget to turn on the light and lose perspective of what you have left, See, the last thing you need to do is stick yourself in darkness and have your mind and heart become dark and confused. See, God says this might have happened to you, but don't let the darkness overtake you. Give thanks and turn on the light. It might feel like the last thing you want to do, but it works. Because when we give thanks, we turn on a light. Right, so that's why we give thanks. That's the whole idea. In a nutshell, that's what we're doing here. And, and, and it's important to realize that it's not just enough to be thankful once a month, uh, for one month, once a year, right? It, it wouldn't be very effective. If we're like, oh, God, I don't know why I'm feeling down. I was thankful for the entirety of November. And now it's, now it's April and I'm just, I'm feeling down, God. I don't know what's going on. But this is a, a place where we can form habits, where we can form attitudes to say, actually, I focused on doing this one thing so deliberately for a month and it changed things. I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to make sure that I change how I look at things every day. This is why we're thankful, right? And and maybe you don't feel like being thankful today. I understand. I get it. I've been there. But I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and you need lifting, you need light in your life, just try it. Try it for a week. Be intentional, even if it feels stupid. Find something small. Start there and let thankfulness start to illuminate your life. But the the other thing I want to look at is if, if thankfulness can bring light to our life, what do we so often do that brings darkness, right? Because it's great to know the thing that we can do to help, but it would also be great to know the thing that we do that kind of gets in our own way, right? I don't know about you, but often I get in my own way. It seems to be a habit of mine, right? And, and so if thankfulness brings us hope and truth and a godly perspective, what can rob us of that? What, what is the opposite of Thanksgiving. I think one of the opposites of Thanksgiving is jealousy, right? Turn with me to to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll we'll chuck it up on the screen again. And and, and Timothy, to understand what this is is about, is a leader of the early church, and his mentor is Paul, right? Paul, who fell off his donkey and, and got blind. Paul, who was killing Christians and then changed and didn't kill Christians anymore. Paul, who was called Saul, right? This guy is his mentor. And and he finds Timothy in in a church that he plants. And he leaves Timothy in that church. And Timothy led a church that was believed to be about 15,000 people strong, right? Which is impressive to start off with until we realize that in that day, given the kind of global populations, that's like a church of about a million, right? So Timothy is a high capacity leader. He's good at leading. He knows what he's doing, right? And, And first and second Timothy are letters that Paul writes to Timothy, encouraging him, motivating him, giving him tips. And this is one of these, one of these letters. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're gonna read from verse six to verse 10. It says this, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Next one. After all, we bought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can take nothing with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Encouraging word, eh? Thanks, Paul, for writing that letter. I feel awesome. That's, uh, that's great. right? And you might be starting to think, Johnny, this sounds a little bit, just just a teensy bit. Like you're gonna talk to us about contentment. John, you're not allowed to talk to us about contentment. We we live in the Western world. Right? And we don't enjoy contentment. Contentment seems to us to be unbiblical. Right? We're like, no, 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 no. I don't need to be content. I need to be always striving. I don't need to be content. I need to be always pushing forward, trying to trying to make the next deal, make the next sale, get the promotion, climb the, the ladder, build the white picket fence. John, I don't need contentment, I need satisfaction right, but, but here's the thing, right, contentment isn't sexy, let's just be honest, right, I, at no stage did I decide I'm going to title this message today contentment, because I would have been like, today my message is titled contentment, you would have been like, oh, I'm turning off my brain, right, but, but, but here we are, we live in the western world, and we don't preach on contentment, right, we preach on ambition, we preach on, on striving, on passion, on goal setting, on, on dreams, right, which is, which is good, but contentment Contentment doesn't feel biblical, right? It, it, just being happy where you are. Surely we need a, a to be CEO, right? Or 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 COO, or just we just need some sort of title ending with O. As long as it's got an O on the end, we're we're pretty happy, right? Just I need me a title and a nice plaque to sit on my desk. I need a business card that says I'm more important than you are, and then I'll feel good about myself. Right, We're in this place where we, we think that we need drive and passion and ambition and success, definitely not contentment. Contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. Are you satisfied today? Are, are you happy today? Are you content? It feels biblical to say no. No, I'm never satisfied. I'm never content. I'm always striving. I'm, I'm trying to change things. And, and it, it's good to dream and it's good to strive and it's, it's good to push forward. But at the same time, we need to be able to be content. Right? And say, this is what Paul is speaking to when he writes to Timothy. He's speaking to Timothy, talking about preachers who think that preaching is a way to make a, a quick buck right? That preaching is a way to to make money. And he's instructing his his protege, he says this, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. The the message translation says this, a devout life does bring wealth, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. See, Paul goes on to make a three-point argument about why contentment, And by extension, thanksgiving is essential if we want to live proper, fulfilled lives. right? And I just want to walk you through this, this three-point argument. Because at the same time, he clearly illustrates how often we create an ungodly perspective in our lives, making our minds dark and confused. See, first of all, Paul says, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. You came into the world with nothing, and you will leave with nothing. Essentially, what he's saying is that the world isn't what matters. Eternity is what matters. Right now, right here is pleasant, sure, or it's horrible but it's not what matters the most. What matters the most is where we're going when we die. What matters the most is is eternity. And in comparison, everything here is gonna seem inconsequential. That life is short and one day of being discontented can lead to another day and to another day and to a week and to a month and to a year and to a decade. And then you know that you've been leading a life despising what you did have, right? I've never been happy with anything. Everything's let me down. Everything's been horrible. And in that place, we never find that we grow because we're not able to be thankful. See, you don't have tomorrow and you can't recover yesterday. All we have is today. Can we learn to be thankful and content today? Can we learn to, to be thankful and content today? Because every day that we are discontent is a day lost. Every day that we are not thankful is a day lost. See, will it really matter at the end if you've got the, the extra deal? the extra square footage, the, the, the vacation, the car, right? I've yet to meet a hundred year old who who complains about the fact that they didn't get the Stingray Corvette. It'd be awesome, sure, but it's not the central piece of their life. It doesn't define them. What matters then should matter now, right? What matters when we're on our deathbed, what matters in, in the eulogy that people will speak for us should be what matters now. And yet so often for me, it's not. So often for me, those things that that truly matter, my character, who I am, my my generosity, the the time that I give with people, the, the, the resources that I give to people matter so much less to me than the things that I can acquire. The places that I can go, the titles that I can receive seem to matter to me more when if I think about the end, if I think about what I want people to say about me when I die, I don't want them to say he had a nice house. I don't want them to say he had a good job. I don't want them to say he had a good car. I want him to say he was a good person, that he poured himself out, that he loved people, that he encouraged, that, that, he, that he motivated, that he was true to what he said. See, it's, it's logical. Contentment makes sense. Discontentment is a stealer, and it will steal from you satisfaction in life. The problem with getting stuff is that we always want more stuff. Right? Have you found that? That as soon as you get a toy, it wants a brother and a sister. Right, as soon as you get those new shoes, you need new jeans, a new top, a new hat. As soon as you get a new Xbox game, you need a better controller and a headset. Right? As soon as you get something, something else cries out that just this, just get this one more thing, and then you'll be happy. Right, and then you get it and you're like, ah, I didn't do it. Must need one more thing. Right. How long do we keep on chasing? See, I'm I'm not against cars. I'm not against toys, I'm not against nice houses, I'm not against having nice things, but the pursuit of those things exclusively leads to a hollow and empty life. See, Paul's second point is, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. And here Paul is alluding to the Sermon on the Mount, a a sermon that Jesus gave, and that life is more than food and clothing. Right, that worry is useless. I loved Steve Hansen's quote when, when they were asking, you know, were you worried about the final? And he said, worry is a wasted emotion, right? I, man, there's nothing truer that I think he's ever said. How often do we worry and we worry and we think we're doing something. We think we're accomplishing something with our worry. Man, I just, just need to worry a little bit more and then I'll solve the problem. But instead, it's a wasted emotion. Food and clothing is representative of the necessities of life. And Paul is using that as an example that God is the provider and that he knows what you need and when you need it. See, when we are discontent, when we lose our ability to be thankful, we put ourselves in the position of provider, deliverer, and caretaker. We become our own source, right? We become God to ourselves. Paul is calling it out though. He's saying, if we have a God who takes care of our needs, can we not be content? Right, isn't God sovereign? Isn't God faithful? Isn't God true? See, there are no promises and guarantees that everyone gets to drive a Bentley. Right, no promises and guarantees that we all get to live in a in a huge house with, with amazing lawns and, and a pool in the backyard. But when we get to heaven, there is a guarantee that nobody is gonna care. See, God will take care of the necessities. That the last point that Paul makes gets intense. Some of you are like, It's already pretty intense. It's all right, right? God loves you. Go to the all blacks. That's what you say if it's a tense moment. Right? Paul's third point is, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Have you ever seen people who are discontented and obsessed with money? Have you ever have you seen them and, and looked at the results? See, Paul doesn't have a problem with, with riches. He has a problem with the lust for riches. See, that's what leads you into Temptation. Lust for riches will lead us to sacrifice family, to sacrifice friends, even to sacrifice our faith. All for that lust for riches. It's what has the potential to plunge you into ruin and destruction more than anything else. Because we will do anything and go anywhere to get that last little bit. Paul says in in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people... Craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. See, money isn't the root of all evil, right? People say that all the time. Oh, money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not all evil, but all kinds. See, the lust of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and it leads people away from God which is ironic because we chase it trying to find satisfaction. We chase it trying to find meaning. And as we chase it, we run further from the one thing, the one person who could actually bring us that satisfaction and meaning, right? It's the ultimate in irony. See, how often is this why we're not thankful? God, I'd be thankful if I just had that. God, I'd I'd be thankful if I had a bigger house. God, I'd be thankful if I had a nicer car that wouldn't break down every time I tried to start it. God, I'd be thankful if I had a better job or if I had a job. If I was like Him, God, I'd be more thankful. God, once I attain that, I'll be happy. Once I get there, I'll be all right. God, once I graduate, I'll be happy. God, once I get the promotion and I'm not just a a, a, a junior intern anymore, God, then I'll be happy. God, once I get a deposit down on the house, then I'll be happy. God, once I get my mortgage paid off, then I'll be happy. Right, we just keep on chasing, stepping back and, and looking at these three points. Is this what we want? Right, to be obsessed with passing, ultimately immaterial things, to always be wanting more to never be satisfied, never content, and ultimately left with nothing. I don't want to speak on your behalf this morning, but, but I I think I'd be all right to say that none of us want to be in that position. None of us want to be ultimately left with nothing, disappointed with everything we did. So, so how do we live content? How do we stay thankful? How do we not lose perspective, Right? We, we, we make our minds dark and confused and we can bring light to our life by being thankful. But, but how do we find that middle ground where we can choose to, to be thankful and, and choose to not always be discontent with where we are? See, this brings us to verse six. Godliness and, and contentment, I think are a package deal. Right, verse six says this, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. See, contentment is being satisfied with God and and satisfied with life. Contentment is being thankful. Contentment is being settled, not not settling, right? But being settled. All you do is from a, a settled place. Because of this, you have the ability to be settled in whatever you're doing, right? But what is godliness, right? Godliness, some people think, is, is to never swear to, to sleep only with your wife and to not kill people, right? Which are all good things to do, I encourage you. Don't swear, do sleep only with your wife, and, and please don't kill anyone, right? But that's not godliness. Godliness, in fact, is, is uh, we can trace it back to pagan priests, right? It's a, it's a term that, that means to be aware and reverent of the gods, right? Because pagan priests had many gods, means to be aware of all of the gods around you all the time. To be aware of the God of the, the field and to be aware of the God of the sun. To be aware of God of, of, the, of the stream and to be aware of the God of the, the animals. To be aware and reverent of all of the gods. And, and, and Paul takes this pagan term and he co-opts it. Right? He takes this term and he uses it to relate to Jesus. Paul redeems it. He says that godliness really means you need to be aware of the one true God right, that the essence of godliness is to be God aware. If we are aware of God, think about it. If you were aware of God in every waking moment, If you're aware of God in everything that you did, if you got in your car and you were aware that God was with you, that God was pushing air into your lungs, that God was keeping your heart beating, that God was letting the neurons fire in your brain, that God was keeping the earth spinning, that God was stopping everything from splitting apart, that God was in the quantum mechanics that hold together the world, if we were aware of that at all times, we couldn't help but to be thankful. If we were aware of everything God did for us in every moment, it wouldn't be hard to be thankful. If you were walking down the street and you were aware that God was holding your body together, that God was keeping you safe, that God was keeping everything together, that He was watching you, that He was intending good for you, that anything that came against you, He would want to turn for your good. If we were always aware of that, it would not be hard to be thankful. And by extension, if that's the case and we're not always thankful, we must not always be godly. We must not be godly people. Which is a challenging thought because I like to think of myself as godly, right? I'm like, I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sundays. I hold a microphone. I raise my hands in worship. I tithe, right? I must be godly. What's going on? And here we are in this place of, of godliness, Is God awareness? And yet if I'm not thankful, am I truly aware of God? See, see, what's happening here is it's it's full circle, right? We are robbed by our inability to be content. But to be godly, to, to be truly content, to avoid having our minds be dark and confused, we need to be thankful. We need to be God aware. It's all a matter of perspective. If I could just get the band up. The same guy, Paul, he writes to a church in Philippi, and he says this, and I I think this allows us to to see it, to see what's going on, to see the key. He says this, Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, NLT, we'll put it up. He says this, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Right, we need to understand who Paul is. These words are profound. Here's a man who has been shipwrecked, been bitten by a snake, been spoken poorly of and been publicly whipped. Right, here's a man who they tried to stone. Here's a man who's been chased from one corner of the land to the other by people who always wanna kill him. It's not often that Paul arrives somewhere and gets a welcome. Usually he walks in and gets chased out. Usually he walks in, goes to the temple, starts preaching about Jesus, and they drive him away, try and kill him on the way. Here is a man who has suffered. He's had difficult times since following Jesus, right? Chose to follow Jesus, people started killing him. I don't know if anyone else has had a similar kind of salvation experience. If you have, it'd be a great story to hear. Uh, And please don't stand too close to me in case they're still trying, right? And yet he writes that he knows how to be content. He knows how to be thankful in any situation whether he has much or whether he has little, whether his belly is full or whether he is starving. And he's been in both situations. See, see Paul is telling Timothy to be settled and content in the highest of highs and in the lowest of lows. Philippians 4.13, just to go back to it, it says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, right? We take this verse and we plaster it everywhere. Right, you've got a bookmark at home. I guarantee if you've been in church for at least 12 months, you've got a bookmark at home that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's somewhere, right? You've met someone at some sort of Easter camp who had it tattooed on their arm, right? It's just one of those verses. And, and, and yet we use it so much that I think it loses its meaning because it speaks to being content. It speaks to being thankful. The, the message version says this, we'll put it up. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. See, contentedness doesn't mean that things won't happen. Trust me. Contentedness doesn't mean that, that you're happy when the world falls down. But contentedness means that you can be like Paul. Paul who had his world ripped down multiple times around him, continuously, but he wasn't defined by anything but God. And so because of that, he made it through. He made it through his horrible circumstances. He made it through the pressures that came in him. He made it through the shipwrecking, the snake bites, the, the public shaming, the whipping. He made it through the jail. He made it through seeing his friends murdered again and again because he could be content where he is. See, this morning, if you take nothing else away, if you remember nothing else from today, please just ask yourself this question. Who makes me who I am? This morning, who makes you who you are? What are you defined by? What is holding you together? In your life, who is God? Who makes you who you are? Are you God? Are you rendering the task unto yourself of holding the world together, of making yourself who you are, of defining yourself, of answering your questions, of keeping the stars in the sky and balancing work and and family? Who makes you who you are? Who is God in your life this morning? Are you acknowledging the source, the deliverer, and the strength? This morning, are you thankful? Not because God needs it, but because we need it. This morning, we need to be thankful because thankfulness, contentedness, it turns on the light. To be thankful is to be God aware, and we need to not ever, ever underestimate the essential power of being God aware, of godliness. We can't afford to. We need to be God aware because after Sunday comes Monday. It's easy to feel good here. I'm surrounded by people that like me or at least pretend to like me. I'm surrounded by, by people that will give me coffee. I can, I can eat snacks. It's sunny. Someone sets the aircon for me so I don't have to worry about it. Someone puts out the chairs so I can sit on them. I don't have to go to work for the rest of the day unless I work on Sundays, in which case I'm sorry. Right? But it's easy to feel all right here. But what happens tomorrow? What happens when tomorrow is not the tomorrow you expected? When things don't go well? When things don't work out right? When something comes at you and it knocks you over? When it, when it bowls you off your feet? See, sometimes we come to church thinking we're a million miles away from contentment. But contentment isn't a personality contract. Contentment is the ability to be God-aware. As a church, we so desperately need to be making a difference in the city, right? At Church Wellington, we believe that everyone has a part to play in changing Wellington, right? And being a part of the change that the city needs to see. And we are are so uh, privileged to be able to live here, right? The things that need changing here are are minor in comparison to the things that need changing in the rest of the world. But at the same time, we, we get to be here and we get to be a part of the change here and overseas. We get to be a part of the change in the world, but we will never be constructive. We will never be the change that the world needs to see. We'll never be able to be a part of the solution to the problems that Jesus wants to bring to the world if we cannot be content. We cannot be constructive if we cannot be content. See, and you might be here this morning and I just feel like there's a few people that you just don't want to be thankful. You just, you just feel like it's just, it feels fake. It feels put on. It doesn't feel authentic or, or true to who you are. And I want to say, I understand. I understand that feeling. I understand that space of being like, God, I just, I don't want to thank you because I don't feel thankful. But I want to encourage you, just for one week, we've tried the dark and confused thing. We've tried the the discontentment, the dissatisfaction, the the striving and the seeking. We've, We've tried that. We innately, automatically just do that. What if we were a people who turned our attention the other way, who said, God, I need to be aware of you in every moment. God, I need to know that you're walking with me, that that you're working on my behalf, that that there is something, no matter how small, and it might be teeny, that I can be thankful to you for today. God, for the next week, I will choose to focus on you and just see if things don't get a little bit lighter. Just see if things don't change just in the slightest, that, that maybe I've tried everything else. Maybe this, maybe this can help. Just if you could bow your heads and close your eyes. See, so you might be here this morning and, and this might be your, your first time in church or this might be your hundredth time in church. You might consider yourself someone who's grown up Christian or, or this might be the first time you've ever gathered together and even heard the, the name of Jesus uttered out loud. But whatever boat you're in, if you know that today you're here and if you ask yourself the question, who makes me who I am? And your answer isn't God. If you know that you're here today and and you're not defined by God, you're defined by yourself, or you're defined by others, or you're defined by by your job, or or something outside of, of God is defining who you are, I know you already know it doesn't work. I know you know that there's a hole inside that that's not getting filled. And so this morning, if you want to take a step, if you want to try something maybe you've never tried before or or maybe you put down a long time ago, and if you want to follow Jesus, to say, God, I need you to be who makes me who I am. God, I need you to define me because nothing else is working. In a minute, I just want to give you an opportunity to raise your hand and to say a prayer with me. And the prayer isn't magical, raising your hand isn't special, but the decision you make in your heart changes everything. Because when we're in relationship with God, it's so much easier to be aware of Him. And when we're aware of Him, how we see everything, our perspective changes. So if that's you here this morning and you know that you need to make this decision, you need to choose to follow God, I just want you to raise your hand now to let me know. Awesome. I'm just looking around. I haven't seen any hands yet. If that's you also, I see that hand. Thank you. Is there anyone else here this morning who says, Jono, oh, I need to make this decision. I need to pray this prayer because I'm sick of trying to do it on my own. I'm exhausted. Let me give this a shot. I promise you it's, it'll be the best decision you ever made. It's the best decision I ever made. Just one more time, if there's anyone else here that wants to join with the few other people that have already put up their hands to make this decision, I just want to encourage you, raise your hand now. I want to pray a prayer and I just want you to repeat it after me. Is that alright? Cool. Say something, dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Thank you, thank you. For dying for me. For dying for me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For going so far wrong. For going so far wrong. But thank you. But thank you. That you love me. That you love me. That you run after me. That you run after me. And today, and today I, can choose I can choose to run to you. To run to you. From today. I'm choosing, I'm choosing to, make you my God. to make you my God, that you will make me who I am. I love you, and I thank you. And I thank you. Amen. Thank you. Awesome. awesome. Hey, if, if you made that decision, uh, we'll have someone come up to you after the service, probably in a, a red top, who just wants to give you some information. If they don't, uh, I'll be here at the, the front of the, the stage for a little bit. Please come and see me, and I'd love to pray with you. But the other thing I want to do just before we, uh, before we close out the service, because we're, we're right on time, is I just want to pray for us. Is that all right? I want to pray for us, because I don't know about you, but being thankful isn't something that comes naturally to me. Right? Choosing to be content isn't something that I just naturally step into. Right? Being God-aware is sometimes so much of a task for me. But I know that we can stand together. Right, One of my favorite things about church is that when, when I'm weak, we can be strong. When I don't feel like being thankful, you can pick me up and point out the things that I can be thankful for. When I feel like I can't be content, like I'm striving, like nothing makes sense, you can encourage me. You can point to me the things that, that are blessing me. When, when I feel like i have just not, that God's just so far away, you can help me to realize that He's closer than I thought. Right, And as a church, we can be more thankful than we could ever be on our own. So I want to pray for us, individually and collectively. Is that all right? Very cool. Why don't you stand with me? Standing makes prayers feel, feel more strong. doesn't change them, but, you know, it helps us. And, and if you're open, if you feel like it, why don't you just raise your hands? God, I thank you that we can be a people of thanks, that we can be a people that are found and defined in you, that every day we can be aware of who you are, that we can walk out into life knowing that you are with us, that you you journey with us, that you hold us together, that that you make us who we are, and that we can be thankful even if it's just for the small things. And God, I pray that as we are thankful, as we choose to turn our attention to you and who you are and what you've done for us, that you change the way that we see things, that our circumstance might change, might stay the same, but our perspective will be transformed. God, that you will bring light into situations that are dark, God, that you will change our minds from confused and dark into seeing you in your glorious light, God, that as we are thankful that we can pick each other up, God, I pray for us at Church Wellington, that we would be a people of thanks, that we would be a people that can thank you on others' behalf, that when we fall down, we will pick each other up, that when we feel weak, we will stand together, that when we shy away, we can push forward, God, that we would be a people who are defined by our thankfulness for you, God, that we would be godly, not in terms of, of not breaking a speed limit and not swearing, but godly in terms of being aware of who you are, God, that we will be godly in terms of aware of what you do for us, God, God, that you are always with us, that you are always dependable that as we turn our attention to you, you change our circumstances. God, thank you that you are true, that you are good, and that you love us no matter where we are, God. Come on, church. Why don't you sing this chorus one more time?